Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, this morning, I want to continue our series, Made... Fearfully and wonderfully, I am so ready and excited to get into the sermon today. I know this is going to help you. This is going to encourage you. Through this series, we've been talking about our identity as followers of Jesus, equipping you with Christian answers to the question, who are you? And this morning's answer is, I am chosen. And that'll be the title of the sermon today, I Am Chosen. Who are you? I am chosen. Questions about identity, questions about self-understanding and self-love have their place in the Christian life because hating yourself or ignoring yourself is no Christian virtue at all. This is a part of who we are and what we do as followers of Jesus. We are intentional about understanding who God has made us to be, who we are, and who we are in Christ. Now, we believe that Jesus is the Savior. Amen? Jesus is the Lord. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we are following. He's the one whose life we are pattering our own life after. Jesus is the one who does the saving. We don't believe that salvation is found merely in flipping through self-help books. Uh, That's not our understanding of salvation. We don't turn to self-help. We turn to Jesus. He's the one doing the saving and the rescuing. But if we want to participate in what Jesus is doing, if we want to participate in Jesus' saving and rescuing and transforming work, then it's helpful for us to understand the self that Jesus is saving. It's helpful for us to be self-aware, to know what's happening on the inside of us because this is the work of Jesus in our lives. So hating yourself or ignoring your internal life, please understand that has nothing to do with the Christian life. Jesus nowhere calls us to hate ourselves because, in fact, self-loathing works against the work of Jesus in our lives. Why would we want to hate the very self that Jesus is working to rescue and save? So there is a right place to love ourselves. There is a, a right Christian love. We, we, we love ourselves because we identify that, well, there is a self that God loves. We love ourselves because we recognize that we are loved by God. Indeed, love is both the beginning and the end of Christian spirituality. Of course, uh, the love we have for ourselves is a subordinate kind of love, right? We subordinate that love under love for neighbor and ultimately love for God. But there is a place for us to recognize ourselves and, yes, to love ourselves. 
Now, we don't love ourselves ultimately for ourselves. It's not a selfish kind of love. Ultimately, we love ourselves, we care for our own souls so that we can give ourselves to other people. Right Christian self-love is about nurturing yourself in the presence of Jesus so that you can give yourself to people in healthy relationships. It becomes a foundation. Self-love becomes a foundation in which we can rightly love our neighbors, which is why Jesus says, love your neighbors as you love your self. So there is a place for us to take a step back and think about who we are and who we are in Christ. And so this series, we've been taking steps in understanding our identity as followers of Jesus. And this morning, the, the next step that I want you to take is to be able to acknowledge and to say, I am chosen. This indeed is a part of our identity, to be able to say, I am chosen. Now, have you ever had the experience, rewind the clock a little bit and think back to childhood, but have you ever had that experience of being picked last in gym class or during recess? I sadly had this experience and I remember it oh too well. My family moved to St. Joe the summer before my fifth grade year. And so I remember being a fifth grader out at Bessie Ellison Elementary School and being the new kid. And if you didn't move around a lot when you were a child, you may not be able to relate. But maybe you did move and you had that experience of being the new kid. And I remember being the new kid, fifth grade at Bessie Ellison, and I remember being out on the blacktop playground behind the school, and we were all lined up about to play kickball, and of course, two kids were chosen to be captains, and they were going to pick teams, which really is the worst way to form teams. I've been coaching youth sports for 15 years. There's, there's much better ways to pick teams, but that's a different story. So there I am, I'm lined up with all these kids. I don't really know, but I'm doing what you do as a kid and I'm, 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 I'm eyeing the kids next to me and I'm kind of evaluating, right? It's like, well, I'm definitely better than that kid. That kid looks slow. There's no way that girl can beat me in kickball, right? I'm like, like, like ranking myself. So, you know, I didn't know anyone, no one knew me. And so they start, you know, picking teams. You know how it goes. We're all standing in line and everyone's going. You know, even that unathletic kid, even the girl I thought I could beat at kickball, she got picked. And then I'm looking, you know, it's just me and some other dude, and he gets picked, and then it's just me. And you know, when you're picked last, you're not even being picked. You by default end up on someone's team. Well, I guess we'll take the new kid. So I walk over there. And so the whole time we're getting ready to play kickball, I am so ready to show them what a mistake they made in not picking me to be on their team. So I'm planning and preparing. And I'm like, I'm going to show them how far I can kick the ball, how fast I can run around the bases. And so I get up behind the plate and then the, the guy is, is pitching or bowling. He's rolling. What, I don't know what you call it in kickball. He's, he's hurling the ball to me. And I go up, take my first kick and oh man, I kick it foul. 
And so I'm kind of like second-guessing myself. I'm like, no, I'm going to show them. I'm going to kick it way out into the outfield. It's going to bounce on that black top. I'm going to circle the bases. They're going to see. And so I get up, and you know what's about to happen. I get up there, and I kick it short to their third baseman, and I, I, I sprint as fast as I can, but I get thrown out at first. My little Enneagram 3 heart was crushed. I failed. I didn't even get on base. And do you know what felt worse than not even getting on base? Not getting picked. Nobody wanted Pastor Derek on their kickball team. (laughs) See, it feels good to be chosen, doesn't it? It feels good to be picked. It feels good because it communicates that not only are you welcome here, but you are wanted here. When you are chosen, when you are picked, it creates within you a sense of belonging. Isn't that true? And it's not just kids on the playground. This is life, right? When you are chosen, when someone picks you and says, I want you to be with us, it creates within us a sense of belonging. And psychologists since the 1950s and social scientists and researchers since then have shown that a sense of belonging is a true and a real human need. A sense of belonging is indeed a fundamental human need. It's something that we need. We all carry within ourselves this sense of belonging, this, this need to feel like we belong. Now, a sense of belonging is not dependent on actual social connection. It's a sense. It's a feeling. It's, a, it's, it's feeling or it's a, it's a perception that we belong to a group of people. And we have seen in the last 10 years or so a number of people who find that sense of belonging online through social media. But I would argue that the sense of connectivity and the sense of belonging that people feel online is really a weak and kind of shallow feeling of belonging, sense of belonging. Isn't that true? I mean, the people will find their sense of belonging by finding some tribe on social media and it feels great until they get defriended or blocked or simply ignored, which is why I continually remind people that social media is not reality, it's virtual reality. And so, yes, you can find and experience that perception of belonging, but I would say it's weak. Nevertheless, I think we can agree that a sense of belonging is foundational. It is fundamental to what it means to be human. Two psychologists released an article just this summer, June 2019, on psychologytoday.com. And in their article, they write, Humans are social creatures. Most people have a deep desire to connect with others, not just as peers, co-workers, acquaintances, or Facebook friends, but deeply and intimately. We long to feel valued and supported. 
We long to share our thoughts, emotions, and life with others. And we long to feel needed by others. These desires reflect a fundamental human need to not only be in the physical or digital presence of others, but also to belong with them. This is that sense of belonging. And I would say that the longing to feel valued, supported, and connected is experienced when we say, I am chosen. There is something about discovering our individual and personal identity within this greater context of community where I can say, yes, I am chosen, but we were able to say that in a community where we acknowledge that we are chosen. To say that we are chosen is a part of our identity as followers of Jesus. Let's turn our attention to the scriptures for a moment. If you have a Bible, I'll encourage you to find Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to find ourselves. Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a Bible app, you can open that up or you can follow along on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at just verses 3 through 10 here in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to focus in on what the Apostle Paul says about our identity as chosen people. But Ephesians chapter 1 is a densely packed uh, collection of verses. Indeed, what we're about to read together is one long thought and idea from the Apostle Paul. But it's rich and it's good. And, and so I, I will focus on the chosen part, but I want you to see this in context. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on the earth. And this is a packed set of scriptures. But it is a, an area in which we find our identity. And again, to repeat, to make it clear, we find our individual identity within the context of our connectivity to a community. In other words, though we are in a culture of rugged individualists, our understanding of ourselves, our own self-identity is 
formed in the context of some type of connectivity to a community. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we find our community here within the body of Christ. Yes, we are individual and unique members of this body, but we find our identity within this greater community. And where do we find this identity? The Apostle Paul, Paul here is, he repeats himself again and again. We find our identity in him, in Jesus, in Christ. Let me just pull out a, a couple of these verses so that you can see that. First, verse 3 says that God has blessed us in Christ where are these blessings found, including this blessing of self-love and self-understanding? It is found in Christ, that is in Jesus. Verse four, he chose us in him. We find our identity as the chosen people. We're able to say, I am chosen because we find that identity in him, that is in Jesus. Skip down to verse six. He has blessed us in the beloved. Who is the beloved? Who's he talking about here? Who's the beloved? Jesus. By the way, if a pastor ever asks you a question, if you don't know the answer, it's probably God or Jesus or Bible. That's usually right 50% of the time. So. But here, who is the beloved? It's Jesus. God the Father is the lover, Jesus the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is that love. Jesus, we find all these blessings. He has blessed us in the beloved, that's in Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Again, where do we experience this redemption? In him. And finally, verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We are united to Jesus through faith and baptism. This happens presently and we find the culmination to this big story, this story that God is telling in and through Jesus the culmination of that, the ending of this great story, we hear in verse 10 is God's act of uniting all things together in Jesus. This is a picture of the end times. And it's not a story that is scary or hyper-violent. This is a picture of hope. That in the end, God's act of redemption, God's act of ultimate healing is to mend all things that are broken, to bring together all things that are divided, ultimately to even bring heaven and earth together. This is the end of our story. This is a picture of the end times. That heaven, which is God's space, and the earth, which is humanity's space, is currently divided and separated. So that those without the eyes of faith who are living on the earth are asking, where is God? And our great hope is in the end, God will bring together this beautiful marriage of heaven and earth and God will dwell with God's people forever. It is a hopeful picture of the end. That's why when we think about end things, we think about hope because God who is the healer, 
who is the reconciler, is ultimately going to reconcile all things in Christ in the end. Now, until that day, we are experiencing reconciliation. For those of us who are in Christ through faith and baptism, we have been reconciled with God and we are set right with God. And the Father, through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, is forming and transforming us so that we can become more healed and more whole, so that we have an identity of healing and transformation. Now, where does that transformation take place? Where is it that we experience this work of salvation? Where do we experience these blessings? We experience it in Christ, that is, in Jesus. That's why so much of our talk about salvation is not so much about trying to get Jesus into our hearts. Rather, we are trying to press into Jesus. We're trying to move closer and more intimately towards the heart of Jesus because it is in Jesus that we experience all these blessings, including this blessing of identity, where we can say, I am chosen. Where do we experience that? We experience it in him. Look again at verse 4. Ephesians 1, 4, one more time. He chose us in him. Where did that act of choosing take place? In him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You can say, I am chosen because you are a part of the body of Christ and it's our identity that we are the chosen ones. He says here, he chose us. That is the body of Christ. That is the collection, the gathering of the followers of Jesus. He chose us. So we have this individual identity that is shaped by this communal identity that we are the chosen people of God. Now, there are those that I say, I've said for years, completely misunderstand what it means to be chosen by God. There are certain Christians, indeed, there's a whole school of interpretation that I say misses the point. They, they completely misinterpret what Paul is writing here. But there's a way to understand it that I think misses the point that goes something like this. They would say, well, God is ultimately in control of all things. And so God chooses some people for salvation and other people, God bars the door of life and assigns other people to utter destruction and a fiery pit of hell for all eternity. Again, this is a popular school of interpretation that because it says that we're chosen, that means God chooses some and that God rejects others. Some God chooses to take to heaven when he died, the rest off to a fiery hell for all eternity. And there is nothing that they can do about it because God is actively barring the door of eternal life. And so if you find yourself not being chosen, as the interpretation goes, it's pretty much, well, off with you. See you later. Good luck with all that. 
And on the other side, you should, you should be happy that you are one of the chosen ones because you get to go to heaven when you die. Aren't you glad you're not one of those? Now, if you're on the other side and you're not chosen, you're like, hey, wait, what about me? I'd like, I'd like eternal life. And in this system of interpretation, God has to say, well, sorry, head on now. It's already been predetermined. You can't change anything about it. Now, I'm trying to present that a little bit in a cartoonish way, but, but that's an awful view of God, and it is not at all what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 1. God's act of choosing is not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of our vocation. Uh, let, let me say that a little, uh, again, because this, I think, is, is the real key to understand what it means to be a part of the chosen people of God. God's act of choosing is not a matter of salvation. It's not like God is choosing certain people for salvation and other people for damnation. The God revealed in Jesus doesn't do that. God's act of choosing is not a matter of salvation, but it's about our vocation. That is, we are chosen for a, a vocation. We are chosen for a job. We are chosen for a mission. That's what the language of chosenness is all about. And it goes back to ancient Israel. The language of God choosing, or for me to say that we are the chosen people of God, that is language that goes all the way back to ancient Israel, for they were the chosen people of God. And why did God choose Israel? Did God choose Israel so he could damn the rest of the nations to hell? No, you can, you can read the story of Israel in the Old Testament. God doesn't choose Israel so he can have best friend forever status with one nation. God chose one nation so that in that nation and through that nation, God could bless the rest of the world. God chose Israel for a vocation, for a job, for a mission. And that was to be the holy and distinct people of God on the earth. And in and through Israel, God would bless all the other nations. And we find this all the way back in the beginning. Go all the way back in the history of Israel, all the way back to Father Abraham. In the calling of Abraham, that's where we see this. That's where we see that God's act of choosing is not about salvation, but vocation. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that for this reason that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, who's going to have this big family that was going to become a holy nation we know as ancient Israel. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And just like ancient Israel, God has chosen you from the foundation of the world to be his holy and blameless people. 
Just like ancient Israel, God has chosen us so that we can each individually say, I am chosen so that we could fulfill God's mission and purpose on the earth. We were chosen for a job. That's why God chooses. So within that identity, when we understand and when we say, I am chosen, we recognize that God does want and desire us, but God wants us and God desires us so that in and through us, God might bless the world that he loves. So we have a job. We have a vocation. We have a mission. And I want to describe that, and there's much that could be said about our vocation, but I want to try to describe that in some succinct ideas. Number one, we are chosen to bear God's image in the world. We are the chosen people of God. What do we do? What is that vocation? First and foremost, it is about bearing God's image. When God chose to make humanity, God chose to make us in God's image, so that now we are the image bearers of God. And sin and idolatry and immorality cracks and shatters that image. And part of God's work in us through the Holy Spirit is to, is to heal us and to remake us so that we might again reflect that image. So we are to reflect the image of the God of love into the world and then we also gather up all of creation's praise and we give that back to God. So our chosen vocation first is to bear the image of God. Number two, we are chosen to care for God's good world. Part of our vocation, part of why we are chosen is to care for God's good, good, God's good world. That is both the planet and people. And again, we go all the way back to the creation narrative, to the creation story. God chooses, God forms and fashions Adam and Eve and plants them in a garden and gives them a job. This is before Genesis 3 through 11 when things go horribly wrong. But God chooses that Adam and Eve and asks Adam and Eve and commands Adam and Eve in this garden, they are to care for it. They are to cultivate it. They are to take care of it. Which is why it's so surprising to me that for some Christians, they're, they're the last to the table when it comes to ecological and environmental concerns. We're, we're called to take care of this planet, but we're also called to care for the people on this planet. This is a part of our vocation. It's part of our mission. And finally, number three, we are chosen to be agents of reconciliation. Again, we saw in Ephesians 1.10 that this is the picture of our future, that ultimately God is going to bring together all the broken pieces and make things whole, even bring heaven and earth back together. And as the people of God, we are sent out into the world to be peacemakers and agents of reconciliation to work towards those things that make for peace, to work for those things that, that raise up the poor, to, to bring healing to those broken parts of our world. We are to be, we, we are the ones who have been reconciled, so we are to be the reconciled reconcilers. And, and understand that this all begins simply in how we live our life. Because again, in Ephesians 1.4, he, in him, he chose us that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. 
So how do we live as peacemakers and how do we live as agents of reconciliation? It's simply by living as the holy and distinct people of God. Because the word holy doesn't mean super spiritual or hyper-religious. The word holy simply means other. It means different. It means that we should live distinctively different kind of human lives in the world. If we will do that, if we will live distinctly Jesus-centered lives in the world, then just by the way we live, we are being agents of reconciliation. At one point, Jesus said, I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. You know that we live in a wolf world, right? We live in a wolf world where the wolves are howling and biting one another. We live in a wolf world. And Jesus is not sending us out to be the best kind of wolf in the world. He's not sending us out to live our best wolf life ever. Jesus is sending us out among wolves who bite and devour one another as something completely and utterly different. We are sent out in the wolf world as sheep to represent and to shine forth the image of the God who is love into a world of hate and destruction. This is our identity to be these kind of reconcilers. And to me, it's all rooted in being able to say, I am chosen. Chosen for a vocation, chosen for a mission, to be radically different in a world of conformity. And now we prepare ourselves to come to the table of the Lord. We come to Holy Communion as the highest act of our worship. And we also come to Holy Communion to renew ourselves in this identity. So in just a moment, we'll stand and and I'll offer a prayer that we'll pray together and ushers will release you row by row and you'll come down to the front and someone will be holding a basket of bread and they'll say the body of Christ broken for you. Take a piece of that bread. Someone will be holding a cup and they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip the bread in the cup and eat. And understanding that this this sacred practice of communion is a way that we refresh ourselves in this identity so that we can be the chosen people representing Jesus in the world. And how did Jesus at the height of his ministry, represent the heart and the nature of God in the world? He did that by dying on a cross for our sins. Jesus on the cross, this is the picture of our vocation, that we too are to go into the world with that same kind of sacrificial love. So let me invite you to stand up with me. And we'll prepare our hearts for communion by praying our prayer of confession together. And then we'll come to the table. And I want to say that everyone is welcome to come and participate in communion today. You don't have to be a member of our church or any church. But I encourage you to come to the table. Because it is in this act of worship that we experience Jesus. And I want you to experience Jesus. I want you to experience this God who is love. So that you can be a part of what God is doing in and among us. 
So you're invited to come. Every one of you are invited. But before we come to the table, let's offer this prayer of confession where we're confessing our sin, we're confessing our faith in Jesus. Let's make this confession together and then we'll come to communion. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned.